There's a brand new book out there, and it's uh, really done beautifully. It is uh, it's called Moon. Moon, in reference to the actual moon. Yeah, the Yareach, the moon. Uh, in fact, we just had the new moon yesterday, for those of you who follow the uh, who follow Rosh Chodesh. Uh, David Warmflash is the author of Moon, an illustrated history from ancient myths to the colonies of tomorrow. And he is with us live via telephone. Uh, here on a, um, a Tuesday morning, astrobiologist and science writer David Warmflash, welcome to JM in the AM. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. Appreciate you joining us. Um, you know, once we saw what your book is about, knowing how important the moon is to our tradition in the Jewish tradition, I said we have to have you on the air. I'm not quite sure uh, if one would say there's a real Jewish angle to your book, but I felt it's important for our community to hear you. Would you say there is, in fact, an angle for our tradition in your book? I I would say there is, because there are a lot of angles in the book. It's not a Jewish book. It's a book about the moon, and it's out because of the coming 50th anniversary of the first human landing on the moon, which took place on July 20th, 1969. Uh, And I found that I've gone on different shows and I've been able to put a different angle on it, depending on the audience of the show. So I was on recently, a few weeks ago, on the British Interplanetary Society's uh, podcast. And I found, as I went through the topics, oh, I got a UK angle, because there are different <laughs> moments in the history of the moon that happen to apply to the UK. I've got other angles. And it's because the moon goes back all through human history and it's touched so many uh, parts of humanity, and so of course it's going to touch Judaism. It's going to touch the Jews because it's a it's a lunar tradition. It's a the, the calendar. We're in a new lunar month, as you know. Yep. It's not. I, a I, I, was, I was. I was. I was. It's actually a luni solar calendar, and there's an interesting history to how that luni solar calendar came about. I was going to ask if you knew. I was going to ask if you knew that yesterday was the new moon. <laughs> But I guess. Well, I know I'm a moon person, <laughs> and I'm sitting uh, outside, so I won't wake up my family because I'm on the west coast. Oh, is that funny? And there's, there's, oh, is it's that a moonless funny? morning because we're in the new moon. Because the, uh, I mean, I'm sure you know that in our tradition, each time there is a new moon, it's it's a minor holiday in Jewish tradition. Like, yeah, it's a really big. And deal. actually, I have in the book I mentioned, for example, how. It used to it used to be required that there were witnesses to the right. new moon Correct. until the uh, the monitoring uh, the lunar astronomy got accurate enough. Correct. And the way to to figure out that accuracy, it's not just Jews who figured that out. It's also Muslims because they needed to have they also depend on the moon. And and and, and, a, and with that in mind, yesterday <laughs> being the new moon, yeah. and based on their cycle, Ramadan has begun. Yeah. Yeah, and if you notice that Ramadan, uh, is that something that always comes at the beginning of May or the end of April? No. no it, it can no. happen anytime. Correct. You can have Ramadan in the summer and the well, winter. Well, it's, and- it's always a month earlier. Next year will be April-ish, and the year next after that will be March-ish, et cetera, et cetera. <clears throat> it keeps getting, you know, it goes that way around the calendar. Because that's a pure lunar calendar, right. and that's actually the way that things started out. Right. It all started in ancient Mesopotamia with the Sumerians. You needed a way to tell time, and it's in, it's a when you have an agricultural tradition, as you did throughout the world in all the river valley situations, there was the called a third dynasty of Ur, 
uh, some, about 42 to 4,300 years ago. And as things got more organized in society, they needed a different way to something that was predictable. In ancient Egypt, you had the star Sirius, which is the brightest star in the sky, that you, in the northern sky, that you can see from actually in any sky throughout our planet. And when Sirius would rise, they knew the Nile was about to flood, but they didn't have that Mesopotamia, so they used the moon. And different cities started using the moon as a calendar. Uh, but if you look at the lunar cycle, so it's, 29, it's about 29.53 days. You can't have half a day on a calendar because it's ridiculous to do things that way. So gradually over centuries, some cities started using, will have a 13th month, right. but like they us. did it here and there. And by the time you get to Hammurabi's time in the 18th century BCE, so you'll have a city, oh, let's do a 13th month this year. Oh, let's another right. city, let's do a 13th month this year. And it wasn't very organized till you get to the 8th century BCE under the reign of Nabonassar of Babylon. He may have been more of a governor because there was a really powerful Assyrian king, Piglat Pileser III, who ruled basically the whole world. That was the time when the Assyrian Empire moved in all directions, and you get trouble in both kingdoms of, of uh, Shomron and Yehuda. They, they have trouble with him, and that's sort of the decline of everything. Right. But there was a Babylonian who was uh, ruling kind of within the Babylonian domain during that time of Assyrian power. And he was kind of pro-astronomy. If anyone could be pro-science in those days, if that made sense, it was Nabonassar. And he had his astronomers go back through records. The Babylonians were really good record keepers. And they had data recorded on clay tablets in cuneiform script. And they went back and they found, they counted and they added everything up. And they found that every 235 lunar cycles, you get a repeat of the solar year. And this was a way to, to get the solar year and the lunar year into sync. All right. I, I, and, and, People have been trying to do that for centuries. And that's how he came up with his 19-year cycle. Right. Which and is what cycle, we, the Greeks later came up with it. That's called the Metonic cycle. Which is what we... later, Samuel of Nehardea, Shmuel Bar Abba, made that into the Jewish calendar. And that's what we follow now, the 19-year cycle. And I remind everybody that this year we've had the two months of Adar. This year we had an extra 13th month. Very limited time, my fault. I apologize with David Warmflash, author of Moon, an illustrated history. With that in mind, let me ask you a couple of quick things. First of all, you know, we, those of us who are fascinated with space travel, uh, really, really love the second half of your book because a lot of it is, you know, details about the history that we're somewhat familiar with, including, you know, Sputnik, yeah. Explorer, Apollo, mm -hmm. etc. But the first half of your book, whoever would have realized that there was that much discovery uh, between ancient times and let's say, I don't know, the you know, 15, 1600s about different aspects of the moon and that there was so much attention paid to, you know, to discovering, so to speak, the moon. And you have a tremendous number of details about that. And I think that's another fascinating part of the book. Yeah, I, I bring up uh, different people. In fact, for your show, for your listeners, you might want to hear about Ralbog, was an astronomer, but as you know, he's also a, a commentator right. in the Tanakh and the Talmud. Uh, 
there's a there's a crater name for him on the moon, the Rabbi Levy Crater. Are you serious? Uh, he made some amazing discoveries. It's not totally clear how he did it. His methods don't really come through. And he lived, unfortunately, in a time and location where he wasn't at the center of astronomy. So that may be why he he believed in astrology. There were some Jewish scholars leading up to that. Uh, well, Ramban, Maimonides rejected astrology. He was in the Arabic world where you already had people, astronomers, and you could tell by what they were writing that they knew astrology was bunk. There was a guy named Al-Biruni in the 11th century. There was another another astronomer, Al-Tusi, and they worked officially as astrologers for emperors. Uh, that was where their paycheck came from, and they would get the funds because they were paid to be astrologers funds to build these great observatories, and they do their serious work, and their emperors didn't really understand what was going on. And in the morning, they'd say, how did it go last night with the astrology? You got my battle horoscope ready? And they'd say, oh, yeah, 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 have, have your battle today. And they would do their serious work. Uh, Maimonides rejected that. But in the Christian world where Ralbog was living, to him, astrology was part of science. And he that influence his, his commentary because he had an idea that, well, you take a scientific approach to explain what you would call miracles. Uh, but he also did pure astronomy because astronomy and astrology were kind of mixed together. And using some method where he tracked the moon very carefully in terms of its brightness and its size, comparing that with changes in the planet Mars, he was able to get an estimate uh, to the distance of stars of the Big Dipper. He didn't get it exactly right, but he had the order of magnitude right, seeing what we would call the distance of 10 to 100 light years. So he was kind of getting to the ballpark, and that was really would have been really important if astronomers knew about it throughout the world, because not knowing the distance to the stars is the main reason why, for centuries, people were following the idea of Aristotle and Claudius Ptolemy, who, especially Ptolemy, who used Aristotle's philosophy and then put math into it and came up with a model showing that Earth is at, well, based on the idea that Earth is at the center of the universe and not moving. Because if you don't know the distance to the stars, you don't see what's called stellar parallax, where you can look at how the shapes of the constellations are changing as Earth moves around the sun. And because they were not able to measure parallax until the 19th century, really, with Frederick Riesel was able to do it with one star, people didn't follow the idea that, well, the Earth goes around the sun. There was a Greek astronomer, yeah. Aristarchus. Yeah, I got I, I to I interrupt you. I yeah. apologize. David Warmflash is with us. The book is called Moon, an Illustrated History from Ancient Myths to the Colonies of Tomorrow. I assume it's available everywhere. Am I right about that? It's available, uh, it's, it's available cosmically, yeah, all the major bookstores and online and Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and you can find it if you just Google it. And what, today we ha- we is have- the launch day. You're getting me. I'm the, you're the first. <laughs> this is the first group of listeners who's hearing about it today when the book is actually out and launched. I like how you called it launch day. That's pretty cool. Finally, we have a one minute to go. Finally, what do you think of Israel's efforts to get to the moon a couple of weeks back? It, it was it was great. You got to look at it from a positive perspective. In 1959, when the Soviet Union 
became the first nation to get something to the moon, it was basically a crash, a less controlled crash than the Brachyte probe. Uh, they, it was the Luna 2 mission, and boy, did Nikita Khrushchev, the, the, uh, the leader of the Soviet Union, rub that in the face of Americans. Look, we touched the moon. It's really hard to get to the moon, and it was a little computer glitch causing the engine to cut off, uh, and it was done on the cheap. It was a lot of firsts in that mission. There were a lot of things that could go wrong, and a lot of things went right. There would have been some good science. There was an instrument called a magnetometer, which would have helped uh, give us some insight about the moon's origins and about the magnetic environment in that area where it was supposed to land, the same area where uh, the Apollo 11 astronauts uh, explored. All right, you can check all this out, everybody. The history of the moon from billions of years ago, quote-unquote, to today, David Warmflash, today's the launch of his book, Moon and Illustrated History from Ancient Myths to the Colonies of Tomorrow. David, thank you so much for joining us this morning. A mazel tov on the release. Thank you. Congratulations on your son's wedding. <laughs> I appreciate that very, very much. Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world, the web, and on the Nachum Siegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app.